Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be, Before You Say I Do, Preparation for Marriage. Before You Say I Do, Preparation for Marriage. According to the Bible, relationship requires preparation and sacrifice, brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about a wedding. We're going to talk about a marriage. And we're, we're going to do this prophetically, brothers and sisters. How does marriage, how does a wedding play into prophecy? Follow us, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Revelations, the 19th chapter, the 7th through the 9th verse. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. For whose marriage? The marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. What did her wife do, brother? Hath made herself ready. The text teaches us that it's imperative that Christ's bride be ready for him. Brothers and sisters. You see that? Continue, brother. Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Today's lesson, brothers and sisters, is about preparation for marriage. And we're seeing it, cl we're seeing it clearly. The verse 7 tells you, that Christ's bride must prepare herself. Let's read 7 one more time. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So look at this, brothers and sisters. The question is, how does the bride make herself ready for her bridegroom? Our goal today is to answer that question, brothers and sisters. We wanted you to... Look at it closely because this verse records in advance that the bride has or hath made herself ready. Now, this is a prophetic text, brothers and sisters. You see this? It's a prophetic text. Uh, read verse 8, please, brother. Revelation 19 and 8. <clears throat> and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. What is the fine linen, brother? The righteousness of saints. Now, there's there's two things here in this particular text. Read 8 one more time, the beginning part, brother. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. The words was granted clarify that the Most High gives the bride the privilege to come to the marriage supper. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Verse 9. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now look at that, brothers and sisters, because according to the text, there will not be just a bride and groom, but there will be guests who have invitations extended to them. Look at that, look at that one more time. Can you read 8 and 9 one more time, brother? Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Look at that. The fine linen indicates that the bride stands in judicial righteousness before the Most High. It's telling you the 
The linen, the fine linen, the clean and white garment represents the righteousness of the saints. So that's clear. Let's go to Ephesians 5, because what I discovered, brothers and sisters, is that Revelations, the 19th chapter, is what? It's an announcement that the bride hath made herself ready and the marriage can take place. I encourage you to go read that entire chapter when you get a chance, brothers and sisters. For now, we're going to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read the 31st through the 31st and 32nd um, verses. Ephesians 5 and 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Here in Ephesians 5, 31, Paul is quoting Genesis 2 and 24, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time? Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. What did that say? This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. According to the author, marriage is a mystery, brothers and sisters. It contains and conceals a meaning <laughs> greater than what we see on the outside, brothers and sisters. See, this mystery, read, the, read those two one more time, brother. Ephesians 5 and 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. One flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Concerning who, brother? Christ and the church. So the mystery of Christ and his bride is the foundation of the pattern of love that Paul describes for marriage. So a mystery. It says this is a great mystery. Brothers and sisters, a mystery is a truth not previously disclosed but discovered by revelation. So that means what we understand about marriage at this time is, is it's something that's the mere outer shell of it, brothers and sisters. It's not the principle. We we know the what we can see, right, as a shadow. But we're going to find the substance today, brothers and sisters. We are set out to find the substance because why? Before you say I do, there's things you must know. There's things that we must know, brothers and sisters. We're in preparation. The preparation of the bride. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Because he said the mystery of marriage concerns who? The Messiah and his church. Okay, well let's see. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we're going to read the 45th verse. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was, was made a living soul. The first man, Adam, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Brothers and sisters, one of the most neglected studies in the doctrine of Christ is that the Messiah is considered the last Adam or the second Adam. We don't hear about that often, brothers and sisters, but you must understand this in order to ascertain completely what Christ and the disciples are trying to break down today. Let's read that one more time, brother, and then let's jump to the 22nd verse. Verse 45. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul. The first man Adam. 
And the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. This is referring to Christ. How do we know? Let's go to verse 22, brother. 15 and 22. 1 Corinthians 15 and 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. See? So Adam and Christ stand against each other as two great representatives. The one represents death and the other life. You see, brothers and sisters, remember the scripture prior said what? The first Adam was made a living soul. The last was made a quickening spirit. Quickening means made alive, brothers and sisters. So it's showing you a contrast and correlation between who's considered the first Adam and the last Adam. When you look at that word last, brothers and sisters, it actually means original. <laughs> okay, it actually means original. Okay, so here it is. We're seeing that two things that Paul broke down here in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians. In Ephesians, he said, listen, there's a mystery, brothers and sisters. There's a mystery, the mystery of marriage. If you want to learn about marriage, you have to learn about Christ. You have to learn about his bride, right? Now, we go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and we're seeing what? Adam in Christ. Adam is a foreshadowing of Christ. Or well, Christ is the true Adam, brothers and sisters. The perfect Adam. What Adam should have been, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look at that. Because now we have two things in tow here. Marriage of Christ and his bride. And now a reference of Adam and Christ contrasted. So did Adam, was Adam married? Did Adam have a bride or a wife? Let's talk about that. Because we can look at Adam to know about Christ. Let's talk about that. Let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter, brother. Follow us, please, brothers and sisters. Romans 5 and 14. Take a look at this, please. Romans 5 and 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Who is the what, brother? Who was the figure of him that was to come? There's two things we learn. This this particular verse is <clears throat> packs a, a wallop, brothers and sisters. There's a wealth of information in this short passage. According to the author, both sin and death were twin powers introduced into the world through what? Through Adam's sin. That's the first thing we see. You see, brothers and sisters, let's read that one more time. Romans 5 and 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, mm. even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Even what, brother? Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So the apostle Paul teaches that all mankind is connected to Adam by a bond that cannot be broken. Who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam is the figure of someone to come. So in Romans, the fifth chapter, we find comparisons made between Adam and the Messiah. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's read that uh, one more time. And then we'll, we'll, we're going to read it all the way down to probably 16. <clears throat> Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. The point we want you to focus on is this part. 
who is the figure of him that was to come. He's the figure of him that was to come. Now look at the now look at the next three scriptures, brothers and sisters, because now it begins to show you the similarities. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, many die through Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Christ, hath abounded unto many. So Adam brought sin and death. Christ brought grace in life. You see, so it's showing you that if all could die through one man, then all can be made alive through one man. Let's take a look at 16. Verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So look at that. Adam brought condemnation. Christ brought justification, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness mm. shall reign in life by one. Mm. Christ. Who, brother? Christ. Adam brought up a reign of death. Christ brings a reign of life. So we wanted to show you it talked about a first Adam and a last Adam. So remember... The scripture, what was that? Verse 14 said, Adam was a figure of him to come. Who was him? And that now these three scriptures, it shows you exactly who he was a prefiguration of. So now we're seeing, okay. He's showing you there's similarities between the Messiah and the first man. So now we can, we can study the first man to learn about the last. Let us show you. Let's go to Genesis Chapter 2, verse 21. Follow us today, brothers and sisters. Today is going to be a very prophetic lesson um, that, you know, I believe is information we all need to internalize. Especially if you're trying to make it to the marriage supper. Especially if you would consider Christ the, your groom, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of information that Paul is going to deliver to us that we must internalize. Take your time. Write down these precepts, brothers and sisters. And don't listen to this one time because this is not a lesson that you can listen to one time. In fact, you go back on it in your own time, brothers and sisters. We're at Genesis, the second chapter, the 21st through the 23rd verse. Now, remember, the scriptures we just came from made uh, comparisons between the Messiah and the first man. So let's go look at the first man. Genesis 2 and 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. In order to produce a counterpart for Adam, the Most High God caused a deep sleep. To fall on him and did what? Opened up his side. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones. What did he say? 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Look at that. According to the text, Eve was Adam's reproduction. She was Adam's duplication, brothers and sisters. Adam was put to sleep solely for the purpose of creating Eve, according to these texts. That, that's a key principle that you have to know, because why? The Bible tells you that Adam is a type of Christ. So you can look at Adam and learn about Christ. So now we're looking at Adam. We're looking at Adam and his bride and his wife, right? Let's go to John 11, brother. Let's go to John 11 and 11. We'll have Brother Corey read the 11th verse uh, through the 14th verse. Because, re because remember, brothers and sisters, it said that Adam was in a deep sleep, right? So we need to show you that sleep is symbolic of death in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Remember, the text said that what? And the Most High caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, right? Now, you link that with this scripture. John 11, verse 11. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of a sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Christ spake of his death, but they thought that he spake, he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Read 13 one more time, brother. Listen to, listen to Brother Corey's words closely, please. Verse 13. Howbeit Christ spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. See? So according to Christ, sleep is symbolic of death. Okay? So we first needed to do go there to show you. According to Christ, sleep, there's a correlation between sleep and what the Bible, you know, speaks of spiritually as death. Right? Because why? Adam was put to sleep, a deep sleep. But it also can be in certain, based on the, uh, if you, based on contextualizing, here it was, he was using the word sleep when he was actually speaking about death. So let's take a look at this, brothers and sisters. We're going to John 19. We're just a few chapters away, same book. We're going to go to John 19 and 33. Now remember, Adam was put into a deep sleep. His side was opened up. And there came his reproduction. There came his bride. There came his wife, right? John 19 and 33. But when they came to Christ and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. Now, brothers and sisters, we know this was the end of the crucifix. And here we see that the deep sleep of Adam is analogous with the death of Christ on the cross. Look at the details, brothers and sisters. Remember, the substance the Most High used to form the woman was found where? In the man's side. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 33. But when they came to Christ and saw that he, had, he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. Pierced his what, brother? Pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. Now that's key, brothers and sisters. We, we wanted you to examine the parallel between the formation of Eve 
in the formation of the church. The blood stands for his humanity while the water represents his spiritual divinity, brothers and sisters. So it's key. It's, it's two covenants. You had blood, right? Blood, Moses' covenant, <laughs> right? When you, when you, you know, transgressed, there was bloodshed. Now Christ's covenant, how do you get in? Water, baptism. What's water all throughout the manuscript? It's a sign of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. But you had to see the blood had to come before the water. That's strategic there. Brothers and sisters, because this was the beginning of the church. There was no church in the gospel, brothers and sisters. You find us a church somewhere in the gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was no church. The church was erected subsequent to this moment here, brothers and sisters. He didn't have a church. The only thing he had was 12 brothers following him around. That's That wasn't his church. They established churches after he died. Remember, initially the Most High said, excuse me, Christ said, go not into the way of the Gentiles. But as it came closer to his time to sleep, what happened? Christ said, go into all nations, baptizing and making disciples. So we're showing you that they already, Paul already showed us a correlation between Adam, the first Adam, and the last Adam, which is Christ. We know that Adam had to be put to sleep, a deep sleep, and his side had to be opened up. And his wife or his bride pulled out. This is the same for Christ. Christ had to be put to sleep and had his side pierced or opened up. For what? For the bride to begin. Brothers and sisters, let's go to Ephesians 5, brother. Take a look at this, please, brothers and sisters. Remember, Paul said this was a mystery. He said marriage was a mystery. I think we're seeing, I think it's getting a little clearer now. Ephesians 5 and 30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Brothers and sisters, closely examine the verbiage that the Apostle Paul chose to utilize Christ in the church. Can you read verse 30 one more time, brother? Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Flesh, he said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Isn't that what Adam said, brothers and sisters? So... With that being said, Paul's intent in this passage was to provide an invitation to go back into history to what? To the very first marriage. You see that, brothers and sisters? Flesh, he said, she is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She shall be called woman because she came from man. Now, Paul is utilizing that same, that same uh, context here. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The flesh and his bones, so the words of Adam mentioned by the apostle are spoken to highlight the resemblance in unions. He's talking about members of a body. He's talking about a church. But he's utilizing the same verbiage that Adam used for his wife or for his bride, right? Verse 31, 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. <clears throat> this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here it is, brothers and sisters. In these texts, Paul, the author, alludes to the making of the woman, which signifies our union with Christ. It's the same exact thing, brothers and sisters. Preparation of the bride. So we needed to find out, you know, who is the bride first? We need to find out who is the bride, who selects the bride, who determines who the bride is. Let's go there because I know there's many questions. Many Christians will give you a, a lot of a lot of opinion devoid of scripture about who the bride is, brothers and sisters. Ask some of the Christians and see what they say. We'll prepare you for it by going to the scripture. So when you do ask, you already have the evidence. Let's go to Revelations 21 and 2 because the question is, who selects the bride? Who selects the bride of Christ? Is it the Commandment Keepers Church? Is it T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen? Who selects the church? Excuse me, who selects the bride? Revelations, the 21st chapter and the 2nd verse. Revelation 21, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I need you to see that because Paul told us what? The church was the bride. John the Revelator magnified the ethnicity of the bride. Who did he see, brother? Can you read that again? Verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. It's not, it's, it's speaking of the people of Jerusalem, brothers and sisters. This is a vision here. But as many times in the Bible, the city or the town is indicative of actually the people, brothers and sisters. That's how Hebrews wrote all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. We're still at verse 2. Verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared as a what, brother? As a bride adorned for her husband. The word adorn signifies preparation, brothers and sisters. A bride prepares meticulously to look her best on her wedding day. Have you ever seen any of those uh, like marriage shows or even movies or whatever? The bride is in preparation for days. She's running rampant. She's anxious. She's excited. All of that's going on before, you know, they say I do. So the Bible is telling you these people, the people of Jerusalem, are getting prepared for their husband. So we first needed to identify. Paul said it was the church. John the Revelator is saying it's who? The children of Israel. What does that mean? Brothers and sisters, you have to realize 99% of the churches <laughs> were Israelite churches, okay? So Ephesus, all these churches that you see the epistles for, these were Israelite churches. 99% of the church were Israelite churches. So when he was referring to church, he's talking to the leadership. There was no Gentile leadership in, in Christ's churches, never. It was all Israelites in leadership. Now, yeah, you can have, you know, a Gentile can learn. 
You know, you, we don't have the right to stop a Gentile from learning. In fact, we have Gentiles in our church. You know, but nevertheless, the leadership was Israelite. Period. So we first needed to, to prove that the, whole, the, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is representing the people of Jerusalem. So that would mean that the bride is the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel. And we're supposed to be getting prepared, brothers and sisters. Now, some people may, they may not like that. They may not be happy with us saying, well, it's, you know, it's Israelites. Why are they always talking about Israelites? There's so many other people out there. Listen, listen. We didn't make the Bible. We didn't write this. Let us show you who's responsible for selecting the bride for his son. Let us show you that. Because we didn't, we just, we just taught what was there. Let's go to Genesis 24, give you some context, give you some history. Who was responsible for selecting a bride for their son? Genesis 24, verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. In his old age, Abraham sought a wife for his son Isaac. See, and according to the text, he entrusted this duty to his lead servant, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 3 one more time, because here we see that Abraham made a clear delineation between what would be acceptable and that which would not. Let's take a look at that one more time. Verse 3, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. Look at that. You see, brothers and sisters, so who was actually making the selection? The father. You see? He's telling his servant, listen, promise me that you will not try to get my son to marry a Canaanite. So that means he's dictating who his son is going to marry. In fact, he goes into more detail in verse 4. Verse 4. <clears throat> but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Look at that, brothers and sisters. So who was dictating? He said, no, you're going to get someone from my lineage. Okay, and take them as a or her as a wife unto my son. So here we see the origin of the Hebrew custom to inquire of the father for the hand of his daughter. Right. And even the son. During this time, the father had all the authority. He could say yay or he could say nay. It was the father. Because fathers were important in the Bible. Brothers, get back in this book. Because your value is in this book. You have no value in this world outside of this book. It was the father who did the selecting, brothers and sisters, according to what we're seeing here. So we're just showing that the text teaches us that marriages were arranged through the father. Genesis 24 shows us that. So that means we didn't choose, you know, to say, well, we're the bride of Christ. His father decided, the most high decided. Who his son would marry. So Gentiles have to receive that. You have to, you know, 
you have to be okay with that rather than doing what Christians are doing and saying it's the church. So it's anyone. I'm like, what church? Which church is it? The Pentecostal, the Catholic, the non-denominational? What church is the bride of Christ? <laughs> See? Because it's speaking of a people. Let's go to John 6, brother. Let's go to the gospel. Follow us here, please, brothers and sisters. John 6 and 44. John 6 and 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I mean, it, it doesn't get any clearer than that. The text tells us that we don't approach without being drawn. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is, I mean... It doesn't get any clearer than that. We're going to jump to verse uh, 65, brothers and sisters. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Here the language is fairly specific. Only those drawn by the Most High can come to Christ. See, so we didn't choose this. We're just breaking down what Christ said. We're just breaking down what the Bible said. These particular people who you viewed as thugs, criminals, deadbeats, thieves... These are the bride of Christ. See? Let's read 65, brother. Verse 65. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. I mean, this statement is nearly identical to the Messiah's words in verse 44, brothers and sisters. See? In the marriage of the Lamb, it is the father who chooses the bride for his son. See, you don't have the right to say who's Christ's bride. Only the father have that right to dictate or arrange a marriage. It's clear Christ is breaking that down here. Listen, you don't choose Christ. Christ chooses you. That's how it works. That's how it works. And that's even in real life, brothers and sisters. It's usually the man who's going to choose whom he's going to make a wife with or a family Right? He's the one who's pursuing. Women are not pursuing like that. Not, you know, commonly. See? Let's go to Matthew, brother, 19. The title of today's lesson, Before You Say I Do. Preparation for Marriage. We're at Matthew 19. We're going to have Brother Corey read 3 through 6. Matthew 19 and 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now look at this. The, the, the Pharisees, of course, trying to get Christ to, to break the law. He, they come to Christ and ask him about divorce. Is it lawful? What does he say, brother? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? You have to remember, brothers and sisters, during this time, our people was getting divorced for everything. Every little thing they was getting divorced, they were abusing marriage. So they come and ask him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any reason at all? Verse 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Brothers and sisters, if you never want to deal with divorce, you must deal with the male and female. Look at what Christ says here. He ignored the question and went back to what he considered the issue. 
Can you read that again, brother? Verse 4. And he answered and said unto them. What did he say? Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He took them back to the beginning. Genesis, the first chapter, brothers and sisters. See, he's not even talking about husband and wife because why? There was no such thing as husband and wife when God created them. They were male and female. So here it is. Christ does what? He focused on the male and female first. He didn't even acknowledge the marriage. Let's read it from the top. Take a look, brothers and sisters. Verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now this is key because Christ is telling them to focus on the unmarried state first. You see, brothers and sisters? He's telling them that divorce is just a symptom. And that's the key. He's saying, no, the divorce is not about husband and wife. It's about man and, oh, excuse me, male and female. The problem is in the male and female before the union. Because, listen, the omelet is only as good as its egg, brothers and sisters. It's only as good as its egg. So he's telling you, before you even get to the divorce part, Okay, don't even ask me about that. Let's deal with male and female before the union. So according to the Messiah's direction, you have to examine the individuals in their state preceding the marriage. I We can guarantee that, brothers and sisters. We can guarantee that. The problem didn't start in the marriage. The problem is with either the male or the female that created the union or agreed to the union. There's nothing wrong with marriage. That's what he's saying. <laughs> okay, there's nothing wrong with marriage. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's what Christ is breaking down here. They say, well, Christ, can, can we get divorced for any reason? He said, listen, in the beginning, <laughs> the Most High made male and female. So don't come to me with this, this marriage thing. I didn't create male and female married. I created them separate. So go back there, because what is he saying? He's saying before marriage, you need there's some preparation that needs to be done. There's some things that you need to examine about who you're going to marry. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In the beginning, God created male and female. We're not even going to talk about the marriage yet. Let's just deal with the two individuals that are going to consult together. Let us show. Let's go to... Matthew 5 and 48, because Christ is telling you, you need to examine male and female before the marriage. Once you've married, it's too late. It's too late. You have to examine the person prior to I do. Thus, the lesson before I say, before you say I do. Look at what Christ was given instructions to his bride before the wedding ceremony. Matthew 5 and 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Look at that. Listen to the direction that the bridegroom gives the bride prior to the ceremony. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
Now, brothers and sisters, when you look at that word perfect, I encourage you to pull that up um, online. Just type in Matthew, the fifth chapter of Strong's. And usually um, you just pull it up on the, on the uh, website and then go down to verse 48 and look at that word perfect. That word perfect means complete. It's not, it doesn't mean without fault. It means complete. Take a look at that. In the Bible, brothers and sisters, when it talked about Job being a perfect man and, and all these things, that word there is actually complete. So according to the bridegroom, the bride must be complete prior to the marriage ceremony. See, that's the key, brothers and sisters. When you're not complete before you get married, listen, it never works because you're not complete. You're not complete. You need two complete people in order for a marriage to work. And that's what Christ was saying. He said, listen, you need to be complete before I come. Okay, because I'm not marrying a child. I'm not marrying a child. I'm looking for a mature bride. This is what Christ is breaking down here, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Genesis 2 and 18. Because Matthew 5 and 48, he's telling his bride that you must be complete. You must be perfect, which means complete. Let's go to Genesis 2 and 18. Genesis 2 and 18. And the Lord God said, what did he say? It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now that's key. <laughs> Look at that again, brothers and sisters. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 18. And the Lord God said, what did he say? It is not good that man should be alone. No, it's not good that man is single. That man should be alone. No, that man is single. Should be alone. This is key, brothers and sisters. This is key because God never said it's not good for man to be single. Okay? He never said that. We must understand that singleness is not a problem to God. That wasn't the problem. Let's read that one more time. Genesis 2 and 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. See, so alone is what God saw, is what the Most High God saw as the problem. The word alone means isolated, brothers and sisters. It means isolated. So he doesn't want a person to be isolated. But he did not say single. Because when you look at the word single, matter of fact, let's, let us pull it up here. Brothers and sisters, I need you to, to listen carefully to the words that are coming out of the Bible. We're going to Matthew, the sixth chapter, the 22nd verse. Because why? Single and alone do not mean the same thing, brothers and sisters. So we got we to gotta start learning from a biblical perspective. God never said it's not good for man to be single. He never said that. He said alone. It's not good for man to be isolated. There's a clear difference, and we'll show you. Matthew 6 and 22. The light of the body is the eye. It's the what, brother? It's the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, brothers and sisters, that word single is the Greek number 573. In the Strong's Concordance, look that up. We had it before us. G573. And the definition says whole. <laughs> so it means to be whole. 
brothers and sisters. Because why? If you're in two, you're not whole. You're 50-50. One is whole. You see that? So it says, verse 22, where it says single. In the Bible, single means whole. Right? Can you read that again, brother? Verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be whole, thy whole body shall be full of light. People walk around with a tremendous misconception of what it means to be single. According to God, to be single means to be whole. What we're learning is being unmarried is not the same as being single. Brothers and sisters, until a person is completely single, his or her relationships will always be a problem. Because why? You're not whole. You have to become whole before you can get in a relationship. This is what he's saying, brothers and sisters. So not only do people misunderstand what it means to be single, but they also misunderstand what it means to be alone. He said, it's good. Listen, you need to be single before you can be in a, before you can be married. Okay. Some people have never been single. They've never been whole. He said, you're not, you're not prepared for marriage until you're whole. You're not going to get your life together with me. (laughs) See, brothers and sisters, because why? If you have a person with insecurities who is looking for somebody to complete them, that marriage never works. That marriage never works because you got to be whole coming in. It needs to be two whole people, two complete people. Right. I'm not looking for, you know, certain things out of a relationship because the relationship is not there for that. Those relationships never work. See, so and I tell sisters, be careful when you got when y'all out there and a brother pursuing you extra hard and all that. Be very careful because he's not whole. That's not love. That's passion. He has he's burning in his lust. And guess what? Once that lust phase is over. (laughs) Right. Then, I mean, where is he at? Those brother, the brother that you can trust is the one who ain't all up on you like that. Why? Because he's whole. He's already complete. Brothers and sisters, Adam never went to the Most High and said, "Well, I need a wife." He didn't even know he was alone. He was working so much. The Most High had to put him to sleep and say, "Well, look, Adam, lay down, lay down, Adam. <laughs> I need you. Need some help." Adam didn't even know he was alone, brothers and sisters. He was single. He was whole. He was whole. And that is the key. You can take that prophetically and you can take that physically, brothers and sisters. You are not prepared for a relationship if you're not complete, devoid of a relationship. Because you're looking for something from a relationship that cannot be, it cannot yield. It cannot yield. You must be whole. You must be complete before you look to jump in a relationship. And this is what Christ is saying. Remember, he said, be ye perfect as your father is perfect. He's telling you, listen, you need to be complete before I come. (laughs) Okay. You need to be complete. You need to be through what? Justification, sanctification, all that. You need to be complete. He's not coming back for some young, you know. He's looking for a mature bride, brothers and sisters, a mature bride. And we just wanted to show you that what the word uh, single means in the Bible. And it means, I'll give you the word again. It's the Greek number 5, 
seven three. And that word means whole or complete. See? So single means whole. When you're not single, if you only have one, then the whole thing is there in that one. When you have two and three, it's 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 not one, it's not whole, because you got three pieces, right? So that's the key, brothers and sisters. He's telling you, listen, be there perfect or complete as your father is complete. This is what he's telling this bride. Why? This is what Christ was saying, brothers and sisters, when the Pharisees said, the Pharisees asked, can a man divorce for any reason at all? He's saying, well, listen, I created the most high created male and female. <laughs> so you're talking about marriage. Divorce comes when you have a whole person and a person who's not whole, or you have two people who are not whole trying together saying, well, listen, this is my better half. Like what? Don't ever say that. You're better half. You're supposed to be whole. It's not going to work because you're looking for something in a relationship that you're supposed to you're supposed to find before. And this is what the this is what the Messiah is teaching us. He's telling this church, listen, you need to be prepared. You need to be whole. You're not going to work through it with me. You need to be perfect. Perfect does not mean without fault. It means complete. You need to be complete. Let's go to, let's go to Matthew 22 and 36. You understand Matthew? We have to start learning what words mean in the Bible, brothers and sisters. So we, we've, we've seen that according to the Strong's Concordance, single actually means whole. It doesn't mean alone at all. Single. God never said it's not good for man to be single. He said alone, which means isolated. And guess what? You don't need to be in a marriage to not be isolated. You got friends and, you know, family, all this. So you don't have to be isolated just because you're not in a marriage. Before you're ready for marriage, what you're learning is that you must be whole. Because why? You cannot, you can't, you can't go to someone else outside of Christ the most high for what you're missing that relationship will never work that will never work because you're holding these people accountable for your happiness the only people that you can hold accountable you know for your happiness is the most high take a look at Matthew 22 and 36 Matthew 22 and 36 master which is the great commandment in the law Christ said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Brothers and sisters, please examine the chronological order of the commandments. Brothers and sisters, we're seeing here that the man asked for one answer. Christ gave him two answers for one question. This is key. Let's go back. Let's start at 36. Matthew 22 and 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Christ said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. 
This is the first and great commandment. This is the first commandment, the great one. 39. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look at that, brothers and sisters. You shall do what, brother? Love thy neighbor as thyself. He did not say love other people first. <laughs> he said you will love someone else. Your neighbor is, is everyone, not just who lives across the street. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. So the, the implication is that self-love qualifies you to love others. That's what Christ is breaking down here. You can only love others to the same degree that you love yourself. <laughs> so first thing you have to love the most high. And loving the most high should qualify you to love yourself. And therefore, the ability to love someone else. So you can only love others to the same degree that you love yourself. And this is what Christ was breaking it down here, brothers and sisters. Let's, let's read it again from 36, please. 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Christ said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So loving the Most High prepares you to love yourself, right? Verse 38. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. He said it's like unto it, so it's essentially the same thing. The second one links with the first one. It's the same principle. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt do what, brother? Love thy neighbor as thyself. So until you love yourself, you're not qualified to love others. <laughs> you see, brothers and sisters, Christ is telling you, if you don't love yourself... It's impossible for you to love me. What we've discovered is that loneliness is a manifestation of self-hatred. <laughs> right? That's what it is. Loneliness. Like, no, I'm single. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. He's breaking down. He's breaking down some cold facts, brothers and sisters. He's saying, listen, my bride can't love me until they love themselves. It's not possible. You have to first love yourself <laughs> before you try to get in a, a relationship with Christ. This is critical, brothers and sisters. This is critical. He's telling you the first thing you must do is love the Most High. And do, the second thing you must do is love yourself before you're qualified to love anyone else. And this is what Christ was saying when you must be complete. You must be considered whole or single. And even when you get married, brothers and sisters, you still want to remain single, which is whole. Okay? So this is absolutely vital, brothers and sisters. Christ said, you must be complete or perfect before we walk down the aisle. And what does that mean? That means you must be whole. You must love yourself before you think you can love me. Many of us don't even love ourselves. And until you love yourself, you're not qualified to love anyone else. Some people, they can't stand being single or being alone, let's say. Being single is a good thing according to God. That means you're whole. That means you're complete. This is key. Before you can love someone else, you must love yourself. So the Most High is viewing these things for some of us that's looking for relationships. He's not going to allow, you're not ready for a relationship. You don't even love yourself right now. 
Because why? How do we know you don't love yourself? Based on evidence of your actions. This is what God is saying. He's looking at the action saying that that's not a person who loves themselves. <laughs> Let us show you. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 30 and 23. Because this is this lesson is on two on two different planes, brothers and sisters. Of course, we have the prophetic marriage, but we also learn something about the present day. For those of us in relationships or looking for relationships, that's the beauty of the Bible. That is the beauty of the Bible. Brothers and sisters, and see, this is what that mystery was. <laughs> Christ in the church. He's telling you, listen, you want to know about marriage, go look at my relationship with the church. So this lesson should help you in your marriage or prepare you for marriage. Let's read verse 23, brother. Ecclesiasticus 30 and 23. Love thine own soul mm. and comfort thy heart. Remove sorrow far from thee. We are called to take on the responsibility of loving ourselves. Let's read that one more time. Verse 23. Love thy own soul. Love thy own soul. And comfort thy heart. Remove sorrow far from thee. For sorrow hath killed many, and there is no profit therein. Now that's key, brothers and sisters. He said, love thine own soul. So self-love is defined as a deliberate act. That you make in order to provide care and compassion for yourself. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, self-love includes having higher regard to higher regard for your own well-being. How do we know? Let's read that one more time. Verse 23. Love thine own soul. Right. And comfort thy heart. How do you do that? Remove sorrow far from thee. Why? For sorrow hath killed many. And there is no profit therein. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. <laughs> According to the author, one way to love yourself is to exterminate the spirit of lugubriousness, brothers and sisters. It's, this is key. He's telling you, love your own soul. Comfort your own heart. Remove the spirit of lugubriousness from you. See? So self-love, brothers and sisters, is a difficult process to, to navigate. But your happiness is dependent on how you take care of yourself. This is what he's telling you, brothers and sisters. Some of us don't take care of ourselves. We try to love peop other people more than we love ourselves. And the evidence is in the fruit, brothers and sisters. And the most high is like, I, nah, I'm not bringing you anyone. <laughs> I'm not bringing you anyone. Because you don't love yourself right now. And until you love yourself, you can't love him or her the way they need to be loved. And this is what Christ is telling his church. This is what he's telling our people. He's like, listen, Israel, you don't even love yourself right now. Think about this. Brothers and sisters, if I say the word gangbanger, what do you think of? If I say the word twerking, what do you think of? Hmm? If I say the word drug dealer, who do you think of? Exactly, a black person. It's a shame that when you think of gangbangers, drug dealers, and women twerking, you're thinking about black people. You're thinking about Judeans. And we love ourselves? He's telling you, Israel, listen, I'm giving you time to get prepared. I'm allowing you to get prepared for the marriage, for the feast. Okay? I'm giving you time because right now you can't love me. You don't even love yourself, Israel. Remember, we've been divorced already. 
The Most High divorced us in the Old Testament. Because why? We didn't know how to love ourselves back then. And therefore could not love the Most High. Did not know how to love the Most High. Now that's absolutely critical that you internalize this principle, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Proverbs 19 and 8. Proverbs, the 19th chapter, the 8th verse. What does that say, Brother Corey? Proverbs 19 and 8. He that getteth wisdom loves his own soul. Here we, get, here we see again the Bible magnifying the principle of loving thyself. And he that keepeth understanding shall find good. How does the Bible teach us to love ourselves? Let's read that again. Verse 8. He that getteth understanding loves his own soul. Look at that. According to the author, wisdom is self-serving. And he that getteth, that keepeth understanding shall find good. So you love your own soul by protecting and guarding it from the tyranny of self. That's just what Proverbs, the author, is breaking down here for us. This is what the author is breaking down here. Notice that he continues to say self-love. Love your own. Your responsibility is to love yourself. Why is he making that a point all throughout the manuscript? Because many people do not do it. You don't even know what self-love looks like without the Bible. Let's read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 8. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He does what? Loves his own soul. And he that keepeth understanding shall find good. Now that's key, brothers and sisters, because knowing how to love yourself prior to any relationship is highly needed for the sustainability of any relationship. You have to first love yourself. See, if you're not able to give yourself the love that you need, how are you going to give it to another? And guess what? Failure to realize when you're being mistreated is evidence of a person devoid of self-love. So you see sisters, brother, you know, beat them up, put their hands on them and all this. And they're still there. They don't love themselves. It's clear. When a brother is sleeping with everything walking, he clearly doesn't love himself. <laughs> so how can he love a, How can he love a woman? How can he love a wife? He doesn't love himself. See, these are the things you have to look for. If a brother or sister tell you, listen, I love you, baby. Then you say, well, the real question is, do you love yourself? Sisters, that's what you need to be looking for. Brothers, that's what you need to be looking for. You need to look for self-love in a partner. Self-love in a partner, brothers and sisters. Christ said, listen, this was a mystery. And you can learn about marriage through examining my relationship with the Israelites, with the church. And that is absolutely vital, brothers and sisters. We're learning a myriad of information. A myriad of information just by studying Christ's relationship with the Israelite church. Let's go to Revelations 19 and 7. We're going from Proverbs 7 to Revelations 19 and 7. <clears throat> Revelation 19 and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. The what, brother? The marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. Brothers and sisters, notice that it was the wife who made the preparation. Let's read that one more time. Verse 7. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. She have done what, brother? Made herself ready. See? So it's the bride's responsibility to make herself ready, according to the text. See? So how do you do this? How do you make yourself ready? How do you prepare? Proverbs 16 and 1, brothers and sisters. We're talking about preparation. Proverbs 16, verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirit. Examine this text closely as it teaches us a great truth. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The preparation is of the what, brother? Is of the Lord. And all the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Brothers and sisters, as image bearers of the Most High, we are delegated authority to make plans. But according to the text, we're dependent on the Most High for permission. See, so a man may plan his road to the last detail, but he cannot implement his planning unless it coincides with the Most High's plan for him. Let's read those two scriptures again. Take a look, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 16 and 1. The preparations of the heart in man. So you can prepare. And the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. But the answer is going to come from the Most High. And all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. See, so the point is to is the contrast between what we plan and what actually happens. How many times have you planned something and it didn't go that way <laughs> at all? So what we're seeing in verse two, can you read verse two, brother? Verse two, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. And see, that's why. <laughs> According to the author, we're all apt to be partial in judging ourselves. See, so men and women both have a proclivity to justify themselves and see their own ways as pure. This is what Christ is telling you. The bride must be in preparation. The bride must be in preparation. The bride must be in preparation. And the title of today's lesson, Before You Say I Do. There's a wealth of knowledge coming out of these scriptures today, brothers and sisters. There's a narrative in the Bible that we haven't that we haven't weighed spiritually. And we're doing that today. Brother Corey, let's go to Proverbs 19 and 21. Proverbs 19 and 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. What shall stand? The counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The passage teaches us that it is the nature of man to plan and prepare. But only the Most High holds the authority to dictate. Brothers and sisters. See? Unless the counsel of the Most High is included in your plans, they will not be accomplished. <laughs> Let's read that one more time, brother. Proverbs 19 and 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. 
No preparation will be accomplished devoid of the Most High's counsel having approved it. Why are we going here? Because what we're showing you is that you don't prepare how you want to prepare. That's why we're going here. <laughs> the bride prepared herself. She didn't do what she wanted to do. Because a lot of us, we do what we want to do and say we're prepared. No, 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 no. That's not how you get prepared. You have to actually let the, the groom tell you how to get prepared. In the, in, in the context of what we're talking about. There are many what in a man's heart, brother? There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. So according to the text, we probably should spend more time seeking to discern the purpose of the Most High rather than devising plans, brothers and sisters. What principle is being taught through these passages, brothers and sisters? What principle is being taught through these passages? There's one scripture that will make it clear, and that's Colossians, the third chapter, the 18th verse. What principle? Is being taught here for preparation. When he's telling you, listen, man can plan, but I give answers. Right? Let's go there. Colossians 3 and 8 teaches us the principle that Christ or the Most High is trying to convey to us. Colossians 3 and 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So the origin of the command is it's rooted in creation. Brothers and sisters, see, it's, it's rooted in creation by God's design. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. No, did it say women submit to men? What did it say? Unto your own husbands. No, submit to men. Unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. So according to the author, relationship requires sacrifice. This didn't say women submit to men. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? Because relationships require sacrifice. So in preparation of marriage, submission must first be learned. That's what he's teaching us. See, in preparation, you must learn to submit. See, you're not ready for marriage until you learn to submit. And I tell sisters that. If, you know, because you know how our, our sisters are very strong, you know, very, you know, very demonstrative, <laughs> you know, and and if you're looking for a man, you have to first learn how to submit. God is not bringing you a man that you're not going to submit to. And guess what? If you can't submit to him, because I hear sisters say this, they say, well, he's not following the most high or he's not doing this. So I can't submit to him. Sister, you chose him. Okay. You, you're telling me, I mean, you sleep with him, but you can't submit to him. No, 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 no. <laughs> According to the Most High God, if that's your man and you're sleeping with him, you will submit. Unless he's telling you to do something against God. Because you don't follow no man or no woman through that door. But if you, if he's good enough to be married to you and lay down with you, he's good enough to submit to. So sisters better make better decisions before marriage. Saying, is this a man I can submit to? And if it's not, I'll... This ain't the answer. This ain't the answer. But the whole purpose of us going here is that preparation for a wedding as, as it pertains to a bride is what, brother? <clears throat> Verse 18. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, submission, it cannot be forced. It must be, it must be voluntary. Why? That's because submission is not the same as subjection. See? <laughs> Subjugation is something else. Submission actually shows strength because it means you have a choice. You put your neck under the yoke to submit when you really could have did what you wanted. See, I tell sisters that. They think submission is weak. No, sister. Submission is strong according to God. A man sees that. Oh, my goodness. There ain't nothing better than a woman of God, a submissive woman. There's nothing better than that. That actually shows her power. It shows her righteousness. It shows all of that. So Satan has twisted it where submission is a bad thing. According to God, that's what shows the beauty in a woman. And that's her submissiveness. That's her innocence. That's her willing to listen and be led. Nobody wants to be with a woman who can't be led. Okay? No man wants to be with a woman who's, who, you know, who's trying to be the man. So, sisters, you're learning something here. Preparation for marriage begins with you learning to submit. You learning to hear the answer, no. See, that, that's what comes first. Now, that's for our sisters. But guess what? We are the bride. So this is for all of us. In regards to our relationship with Christ, we must learn to submit. First. So, brothers and sisters, he's telling you what? If I have to chastise you in order for you to obey, that's not submission. That's subjugation. See? So, preparation means learn how to submit. Let's go to Proverbs 16 and 9, brother. Let's go back to Proverbs here. We're at the 16th chapter, the 9th verse. Proverbs 16 and 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord direct his steps. According to the text, we are not permitted to move our lives in any direction unless the Most High is pleased with that choice. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's read that one more time. Verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directed his steps. But what, brother? But the Lord directed his steps. <laughs> the word but. Brothers and sisters, the word but. What we see is the Most High is not against planning. Just against those who think that they determine their lives by their planning alone. He said a man's heart deviseth his way. Why? Because we're made in God's image. God plans. So he knows that we plan. But understand your plan is going to be dictated by his allowance, brothers and sisters, or lack thereof. See, this is the number one thing we must learn in preparation of marriage. As the children of Israel, learn to submit. See, there's a difference between Savior and Lord. Many of us know Christ as Savior, but we don't know him as Lord, which means owner. Yeah, we. anytime you need something or, or, you know, somebody's sick or you lose your job, bills can't be paid. Yeah, we call on Christ as the Savior. Save me. 
But what about the lower part, which is owner, which means dictator, which means submit? That's what owner, excuse me, that's what Lord means. It means owner. That means he owns you. He dictates everything that you do. See, we're learning that principle here. Preparation for marriage is number one, submission. Right? Let's go to Job, brother, 11. Let's go to Job, the 11th chapter, the 13th and 14th verse. Follow us here, please, brothers and sisters. Job 11 and 13. Job 11 and 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. According to the text, preparation is the refusal to permit wickedness to dwell in thy uh, tabernacle or your body. Let's look at it again. He's talking about preparing your heart. So the preparation is of the heart. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 13. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. So stretching out your hands, brothers and sisters, is analogous to asking the Most High God to examine your actions. That's, he's, you're saying inspect these. See, so according to this text, preparation includes what? <laughs> Look at that, brothers and sisters, cleansing. Verse of Job 11 and 13. Excuse me. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands toward him. Stretch out your hands. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away. And let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. He's telling you what preparation is. He's telling you. Your hands must be clean. Right? Let's prove that. Let's go to Psalms, brother. Let's go to Psalms 24. Psalms 24 and 4. We'll read 4 and 5. Psalms 24 verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, mm. who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, remember Job 11 said, if thy prepare thy heart and stretch out your hands towards him, if iniquity be found in your hands, put it far from thee, right? Now, the precept to that is Psalms, the 24th chapter, the 4th verse. What does that say, brother? Verse 4. He that had clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This speaks of a man or woman who is pure in both their actions, when it speaks of hands, and their intentions, where it speaks of heart. Brothers and sisters. So, according to the text, to have clean hands is equivalent to what? Being upright. See that, brothers and sisters? Do you see this metaphor? Let's read that one more time. Verse 4. He that had clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Now, we see clean hands and a pure heart. We know that clean hands is equivalent to being upright. 
a pure heart means not merely the the one whose external conduct is upright, but whose heart is pure. Because why? The Pharisees, you know, had clean hands. Remember, they asked Christ, why, why are the disciples not washing their hands? <laughs> so it's really not about your, your, your physical hands. It's what it represents, brothers and sisters. It represents your actions, right? And your intent. Because guess what? Just because you don't eat pork doesn't make you a good person. Just because you don't celebrate Christmas does not make you a good person. Because guess what? All of the Israelites in the Bible didn't celebrate Christmas. All of the Israelites in the Bible didn't eat pork. And they were not good people. I mean, David slept with a man's wife. <laughs> and then killed him. And guess what? He wasn't eating pork at that time. And he wasn't celebrating Christmas. So we have to get off this simple, you know, this simple-minded way of looking at things. Today's lesson, Before You Say I Do. Subtitle, Preparation for Marriage. We'll read those two scriptures one more time and then we'll move on. Psalms 24, verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Why do we go here? We just wanted to show you what the preparation of the bride looked like. See, the psalmist teaches that clean hands alone would not suffice unless they were connected with a pure heart. There would not be enough just clean hands. So according to the psalmist, in order to be a recipient of true salvation, there are contractual obligations. What are those obligations? Clean hands, clean motives. Right now, we're just dealing with preparation. What is preparation? What does preparation look like? That's what these scriptures that we're going into is for, brothers and sisters. Preparation of the bride. Let's go to Esther, brother. More on preparation. More on preparation, brothers and sisters. We're at Esther, the second chapter, the eighth and the ninth verse. Esther 2 and 8. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together into Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. This is before her selection, right? This is before her selection. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 8. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard. When the king's commandment, why? He was looking for a bride. He was looking for a wife, right? And when many maidens were gathered together into Shushan the palace, the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification. What did he give her? Her things for purification, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her, out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maiden unto the best place of the house of the women. And look at this, brothers and sisters. We're trying to show you what... Esther, 
what, who would become Queen Esther had to do before she actually got married to the king. Because likewise, our king has commanded us to prepare ourselves and to come into his presence at the appointed time. Let's look at it again. Because this is transpiring before she actually met him. Let's read it one more time, brother. Let's read verse 8. Esther 2 and 8. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together into Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house. She was brought to the king's house. To the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. So she was with the chamberlain, right? But look at the next scripture, because this is the, this is the preparation. Verse 9. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification. So here it was, the chamberlain took a liking to Esther. And what did he give her? Her things for purification. Purification, right? With such things as belonged to her and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. So look at this, brothers and sisters. And, and when you look at it closely, brothers and sisters, throughout this text, this was a 12-month period. Esther's preparation was over 12 months period of time. They gave her all the best uh, oils for her skin, all the best fragrances. So it was six months and six months. So she had to be prepared and pampered, right? Before she could even meet the king, brothers and sisters. So this is, this is incredibly important. Brothers and sisters, because according to the text, this preparation was to be done before going into the presence of the king. Let's read that one more time. Verse nine. And the maiden pleased him and she obtained kindness of him and he speedily gave her her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids Unto the best place of the house of the women. So not only did he give her everything she needed for purification, the mirror, the, the best oils for her skin. Uh, by the time she came into contact with the king, you know, the best ointments, the best fragrances. He gave her all of those things, brothers and sisters. He gave her all of those things. Let us show you. Jump to verse 12, brother. Verse 12. Now when every maid's turn was come to go into the king Xerxes... After that, she had been 12 months. She had been what? She had been 12 months. 12 months after she was prepared or in preparation for 12 months. She had been 12 months after that. She had been according to the manner of women. For so were the days of their purification accomplished. To wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for purifying of the women. <laughs> Look at this. Now, this was, a, this was a, a flesh and blood king. They didn't see him for 12 months. A year. <laughs> Six months. Listen, just, just get your oils together. All right? I want your skin to be glistening. Right? And then not only that, get you the fragrances. I want your hair to smell good. Your skin to smell good. Sisters know all that stuff they be doing. See? This was the preparation here. <laughs> and it took 12 months. That's why the Chamberlain gave her everything that she needed. He gave her the mirror. He gave her the sweet odors. He gave her everything she needed because he took a liking to her. 
So we're showing you this is the preparation here. There was a 12 month, a one year preparation before she met Xerxes. This is where we are, brothers and sisters. This is where we are. We're in preparation. The same way Esther was in preparation. Brother Corey, let's go to Ecclesiasticus, the second chapter, the 17th verse. Ecclesiasticus 2 and 17. They that fear the Lord will prepare their hearts and humble their souls in his sight, saying, We will fall into the hands of the Lord and not into the hands of men, for as his majesty is, so is his mercy. Brothers and sisters, we're showing you what the preparation looks like. You see, brothers and sisters, we're showing you what according to the Bible. Remember, we learned that, listen, man had many plans in his heart, but only the Most High direct the steps. So what do we have to do? We had to go into the Bible to find out what the preparation was. You don't prepare how you want to prepare. Okay? You have to find out what he wants. You have to find out what God wants. You have to find out what the groom wants. I tell sisters this all the time. You need to find out what your man likes. <laughs> okay? Because, I mean, he is the man, right? Find out what your man likes. This is what we're doing. We're finding out what the Most High likes. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 17. They that fear the Lord will prepare their hearts. They will do what? Prepare their hearts. Look at that. And humble their souls in his sight, saying, We will fall into the hands of the Lord and not into the hands of men. For as his majesty is, so is his mercy. I need you to see that because according to the text, there's evidence that can confirm or verify godly fear. How do we know? Let's read 17 one more time. Brother. 17. They that fear the Lord will prepare their hearts. See, if you fear the Most High, you'll be in preparation. <laughs> See, the author teaches us that godly fear is not authenticated with words. Verse 17. They that fear the Lord will prepare their hearts and humble their souls in his sight, saying, We will fall into the hands of the Lord and not into the hands of men. This is key, brothers and sisters, because this passage teaches us that the soul must be humble. See, it's the soul. <laughs> the soul, again, brothers and sisters, that need to be humbled. What's 18 say, brother? Saying, we will fall into the hands of the Lord and not into the hands of men. For as his majesty is, so is his mercy. One of the most dangerous and deceptive things we can face when trying to please God is trying to please man at the same time. See, we are to strive to please the creator rather than his creation. Because some of us, we try to do that. We say we're following the most high, but we'll do things that we know is against God to please someone else. I, I don't want them to not like me or think I'm soft or, or whatever people say out there. Right? A brother's doing things for women all the time that they know they have no business doing. So the Most High said, do you fear her? Do you fear what she can do to you? Or you fear me? And if you fear her, you're definitely not ready for marriage because she's going to walk all over you, run over you, steamroll you. Same thing with the sisters. Same thing. 
So he's telling you, listen, if you fear me, you'll get in preparation right now. Because guess what? You have to first become, must be complete or whole. Okay? You must first be complete. Why? Because you can't love me until you love yourself. He broke that down in Matthew. I think it was the sixth chapter. He said, love your neighbor as you love thyself. That means you have to love yourself in order to know how to love someone else. This is the time that we're in, Israel. This is the time that all of us are in, Gentiles also. Preparation. Preparation. Let's go to 2 Chronicles, brother, 12 and 14. We're in preparation, brothers and sisters. He said, those who fear the Most High are in preparation. Are you in preparation, brothers and sisters? 2 <clears throat> Chronicles 12 and 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil. Why, brother? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Examine the behavior that follows the negligence in preparation, brothers and sisters. Verse 14, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. See, so when your heart is prepared, the most high becomes your first recourse instead of your last resource. You see, the nature of his evil was what? It was doing, <laughs> let's read it one more time. Verse 14, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. See, so the nature of his evil doing is explained immediately. And what did it say? And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. See, so his evil was he didn't prepare. See, the preparation, brothers and sisters, showing you the negligence leads to what? <laughs> the behavior that follows negligence in preparation. See? So the Bible talks about preparation and preparing your heart all throughout the manuscript. Are you in preparation? Christ is not looking for some young, immature bride. He's not coming back for that. He's not coming back for that. He's coming back for a grown, mature bride. And he's given us enough time. See, he's waiting for us to get prepared. He's waiting on us. It's time to grow up. It's time. Let's go to Psalms 10 and 17, brother. Psalms, the 10th chapter, the 17th verse. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters, please. Psalms 10 and 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. Look at that closely, brothers and sisters. The text teaches us humility is a key principle in preparing our hearts. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 17. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. See? So the thing that prepares our heart is the willingness to let self die. See, if, you, if you're unwilling to let self die, you don't have the humility needed to prepare your heart. See, the Bible is clear. It's explicit, rather, on how to prepare. 
You don't just come up with your own preparation. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Okay, brothers and sisters, the preparation is written of in the Bible. And if we were unwilling to do that, then that's fine. That's that's fine. Let's go to Psalms 57, brother. Psalms, the 57th chapter, the 7th verse. <clears throat> Psalms 57, verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Can you read that first part again, brother? Verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. This is repeated to show the vehemence, the vehemence of his spirit and the certainty of the thing in which he's saying, brothers and sisters. Look at it closely. Because according to the psalmist, a steadfast heart leads to what, brother? My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. I will what, brother? I will sing and give praise. So according to the psalmist, a steadfast heart leads to praise. See? So David, a man after God's own heart, prepared his heart in advance for what? For adversity. See? His heart was unwaveringly fixed on God. So the preparation comes beforehand. He didn't wait for adversity to come. He was, he was preparing himself for the adversity by seeking the Most High God, by keeping his heart fixed on the Most High God. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that the text is highlighting conviction, the conviction of commitment. That's what, he's, that's what the scripture is breaking down. He said, my heart is fixed upon thee. My heart is fixed. I will sing and praise your name. If you're fixated on something, what does that mean? Can't keep your eyes off of it. Let's go to our last three scriptures, brothers and sisters. We're going to go to uh, Revelations 22 and 16. Revelations, the 22nd chapter, the 16th verse. We're going to have Brother Corey read 16 and 17. Revelation 22 and 16. I, Christ, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the, br and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Brothers and sisters, look at this one more time. Can you read that uh, verse 16, brother? Verse 16. I, Christ, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Look at this, brothers and sisters. And the bright and morning star. Look at verse 17. There's something vital there. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hear it say, come. Who said this? And the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. So, so look me. at this. Look at this. It's telling you that the spirit of God and the bride are what? Are designated to give out invitations. You see that? 
The spirit, read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say. What do they say, brother? Come. And let them that hear say, come. And let him that a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life free. Now, brothers and sisters, it's telling you that the bride is responsible for invitations. Right? The same way it is in a traditional marriage. Trust me, it's the sisters <laughs> with all the invitations. Trust me. So we're showing you that not only is the Holy Spirit involved in the invitation giving, but the bride is supposed to be a huge part of the invitation. The invitation list. Let us show you. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 13. Because it tells you the spirit of the Most High and the bride are supposed to be delegate or giving or given out given out uh, invitations, right? We're at Matthew 5 and 13 through 16. Matthew 5 and 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now, brothers and sisters, take a look at this. Because the disciples are called to make the earth a more uh, palatable place. That's what salt is. Salt. Can you read that one more time, brother? 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If it lost its saltiness, right? Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. It's good for nothing. But to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. So it's clear. He said you're the salt of the earth. But salt must keep its saltiness to be of any value. Salt that loses its effectiveness is worthless. That's what this is breaking down, brothers and sisters. And guess what? This is supposed to be us. This is supposed to be the bride. This is supposed to be the bride, brothers and sisters. Continue, brother. 14. Ye are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Look at that, brothers and sisters. He's telling you live visible lives that attract attention to the beauty of the Most High's truth. Right? Verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Now, look at this closely, brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, read 14, brother. 14. Ye are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on hill cannot be hid. As the lights of the world, we are intended to illuminate and give light to others. When it says you're the light of the world, light is needed. Why? Because the world's in darkness. <laughs> we, You wouldn't need light if it was... If there was no darkness, right? Continue, brother. 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Mm. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. You give light where, brother? To all that are in the house. Light gives what? The gift of guidance, brothers and sisters, so that those who have lost their way can find the path. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So look at the, the two... Um, the two metaphors in these texts light and salt both salt and light have properties which affect things around them right it's key so to, to be salt means to what to deliberately seek to influence 
the people you come in contact with. Just like salt. You ever had something that had no flavor on it? You put a little salt on it, it's now it's palatable. Okay, all right. You know? That's supposed to be us, the flavor. Can you read 14 one more time, brother? Matthew 5 and 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. But on a what? But on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glorify who, brother? The Father which is in heaven. So in the analogy of light to the world, the good works of Christ's followers are to shine for all to see, brothers and sisters. That's the Bible breaking that down. That is the Bible. See, remember, we're supposed to be giving out what? We're supposed to be giving out invitations. This is what this chapter is about. <laughs> about the invitation that you're supposed to be giving out. See? You're supposed to be the salt. You're supposed to be the light. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11, brother. 11 and 3. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the 2nd and 3rd verse. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband. I have done what? I have espoused you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility or subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. From the what, brother? From the simplicity that is in Christ. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 2 one more time because I need you to see what the promise was. Verse 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Mm -hmm. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So according to the author, purity was the promise. He says that I may present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ. Continue, brother. Verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul was concerned that the bride would be led astray, deceived by Satan, and away from their spiritual purity. See, this is what the author was breaking down. Anytime we give our hearts to something other than God, we're committing spiritual adultery during the period of our betrothal. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're engaged to one husband, right? I'm supposed to present you as a chaste virgin. This is Paul speaking to this congregation saying, listen, I'm supposed to get you to and fro. I'm supposed to get you from here to, to the Messiah. And you're supposed to be pure and clean. But I fear you're going to have deceivers come in and taint your garment and deceive you. See that, brothers and sisters? Look at verse 3 one more time. Verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So here we see that Paul knows the, the subtle nature of Satan's deceptions, brothers and sisters. So we 
we started, brothers and sisters, showing you that there is a marriage that is prophesied. And there's preparations that have to be made. Now, this lesson was multifaceted because we learned about prophecy and how to operate as a nation of people. We also learned through the Bible of how to operate individually when we're looking for a relationship, brothers and sisters. It, it's time for preparation. We're running, it's high time to wake out of sleep, brothers and sisters. It's high time. We're at the door. It's time to, to internalize these things that we're learning, apply these things that we're learning. Because it doesn't help. You're not growing. You're actually deceiving yourself if you don't apply what you're learning. If you're just learning it and, and not applying it, you're deceiving yourself. The Bible tells you that. You'll hear of the word and not to do it, deceiving your own self. So please, brothers and sisters, please get in preparation for the bridegroom. Today's lesson, before you say I do, preparation for marriage. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.